Yeah, Danny. We're back for episode one motherfucking 20. Yeah, dude. I know, right? Holy shit. Hundreds of hours of us talking about horror movies are online. I thought about that this weekend. It kind of blew my mind, but... It is a lot, but... At this point, I'm willing to see how far we can go with it now. That's right. Back after an unintentional week off after I was sick. And I'm going to say right now that I can't promise that I'm not going to end up sounding like a fucking croaking frog <laughs> by the end of this podcast. This is going to be the most I've tried to talk in one session in like a week, week and a half. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Thankfully, it was never really in my throat that was the problem. I've been like super congested. And having to fucking mouth breathe for like the past week straight. <laughs> so my throat's tore up as fuck from that. So Yeah, I think you and I were kind of getting over the same thing. I had a bit of a sinus cold as well. A lot of congestion, but I feel pretty decent now. Shit, but honestly, that was kind of my week too. I've just been like working and getting over being sick. Like, went and saw the new Men in Black. Nice. Caught a couple horror movies. If you follow us on the Instagram, you'll know what I've been watching. <laughs> And what you've watched and all that. I'm starting to get a little bit better. Like, I think I've been getting at least a post up a week lately. Yeah, so, man. And I've been trying a lot more to watch horror movies in my off time. So if you guys follow our Instagram, you can follow along with the movies I watch. Yeah. And maybe we could talk about them. <laughs> that would be cool. Absolutely. I'm actually going to try to do this, like, outreach with the fans a little bit better. So we'll see how that actually holds up when I fucking get stoned and forget to do it in, like, a week. But... Usually I'll be watching movies like Friday and Saturday nights, so if it's a horror movie, I'll make sure you guys know. Yeah, exactly. We like to at least keep our listeners informed on what we've been up to, whether it's watching, collecting, etc. Going out to the movies, you know? So, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. Just laid back, like I said, watched a couple of films that I had purchased not too long ago. Did get around to watching a film that we had briefly mentioned during our episode with Donnie because we watched the trailer for Hagazusa. Finally did get to check that out, and without spoiling too much, doing a little research after definitely made the film make a lot more sense. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed it quite as much as The Witch. I'm not ready to say that at all. I almost watched it this weekend, ended up not watching it. Neither you nor Donnie have seemed really too stoked on it after we talked it up during the Gate episode. Yeah, yeah, you're right, um, I keep thinking he was on for November as well. That's because but. it's all this folk horror we like. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm still going to check it out at some point. But it's been a little bit disappointing after we were all pretty hyped on that trailer. Yeah, I will say this, trying to upsell it a little bit. The cinematography is really nice. I mean, it's really well done. The sound design is really well done. There is minimal dialogue. But when it is given, it has a definite significance behind it. And there's a lot of symbolism, too, to be read into the film. So, I mean, if you're into slow burns, if you like folk horror, you know, along the lines of some of the films we've already mentioned, it's not bad. It's just it didn't blow me away. Man, and as far as folk horror goes, like, I might watch it just to warm me up a little bit because Midsommar's coming out Dude. soon. And I'm getting so... I told you, like... We've both sort of went into a little, like, self-imposed exile and trying not to check out too many more of the trailers till the movie's out, but as I told you, like, I caught one in an unskippable ad the other day. Not full-on, but more than I'd seen before, and, oh, dude, I'm so much more excited. Like, this <laughs> shit looks like it's gonna be trippy as shit. Yeah, you can't help but see stills or see people make mention of the film, especially because of what we do, so we like to do a lot of research throughout the week. But for the most part, I've been kind of keeping, you know, like you said, 
making sure that I'm not watching too much or listening to too much. That one. I've told myself. I've told myself I'm still gonna read things about it, especially in like a week and a half when like the early reviews, the early non-spoiler reviews and shit are start to come out. I'm still gonna probably read about two or three of those. I'm just gonna do my best not to watch any more of the trailers. I want I want that part of it to all hit me fresh, but. I don't mind if like I get primed for some of the ideas by some other people just yeah, vaguely that. hinting at shit. Yeah, I think just knowing what he's done with Hereditary and the fact that we do like folk horror, and just from that trailer alone, the first one that we watched, so that's all I need to know. This looks fucking exactly what we're looking for. So I'm really excited about that one. And you're right, it's just right around the corner. And, oh shit, I mean, we were really excited last week to record before we got sick uh, yeah. because they dropped the three from hell trailer and it was really <laughs> they, with, wait 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 i was about to say they dropped the three from hell teaser yeah because very truthfully that's all it was was very much a teaser lots of old footage lots of title screens and shit oh yeah yeah, yeah. not much new footage no. Nothing which, to really go off of. I kind of like that bare bones approach because it doesn't want to give you too much, you know? I wanted enough to maybe know what this might be about, though. Yeah, give you a little sense of a plot. Because we don't really have that, I think. No, even the limited things that we have read doesn't give a whole lot away. No. But, you know, we still get the Firefly family and some extras that are along the way, which is going to be nice. Some recurring faces as well whatever that's going to be soon enough anyway like i said rob has said he's shooting for september we'll see what actually happens but it should end up being this year yeah and this fall sometime so looking forward to that one other trailer i did check out because i have read the novel oh i actually watched it nice I, i saw it yesterday the doctor sleep trailer nice dude so yeah, watch the Doctor Sleep trailer because I had been anticipating it for a while, especially after reading the novel, really enjoying it. So for those who don't know, it is a direct sequel from The Shining, just not by Kubrick, of course, is by Mike Flanagan. But the I'm excited is. because I do like Ewan McGregor a lot. He plays the older Danny Torrance in the film. So yeah, seeing some of the things that were in the trailer and just knowing the background because of the novel, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. This looks really good. The trailer definitely, and I had heard this before seeing the trailer, but the trailer definitely leaned into The Shining Connection. You've read the book, I haven't. From what I understand is if they're decently faithful to the book, then that's only going to be about 15% of the movie. Uh, All right. Without spoiling anything, there are connections back to The Shining back to the Overlook Hotel mm-hmm. because of the influence and the impact it had on the Torrance family. It's not a major part of the book, but it's, you're right, there's probably a good 15%, maybe. And there's a big bad reason why it's still a focus after all these years, which is really interesting. That's why I'm kind of curious to see how they tie some of those elements from the novel into the movie. I want to see how Flanagan does that. Ooh, and here's the thing. Do you think he's going to tie it from the novel or I mean, he's definitely tying a lot of I the mean, elements that I've seen from the trailer from the novel. From the novel Doctor Sleep. But yeah. from the, when he ties back I, to The I Shining, saying, yeah. is he going to tie to the novel Shining? Or, is or he more so tie... from Stephen King's? Yeah, that's a good point. From the limited things that I've seen, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You know, Probably using, of course, the stock footage from Kubrick's The Shining. But maybe a little bit more of the background of characters and whatnot. Or leaving it vague so that you could interpret it either way. Yeah. 
which is kind of neat, man. You know, when you go back, and I was more, you know, in tune with Stanley Kubrick's because I'd never read The Shining by Stephen King until just recently. And then after reading it and knowing, like, you know, the like the what the fuck moments in the film, like, who are these people? What are, you know, what's the connection here? It's all spelt out in Stephen King's novel. So it makes a lot more sense when you're reading Dr. Sleep and whatnot. But anyhow, really looking forward to it. That's dropping November the 8th. Super stoked about that. And I don't think there's anything new from it that we can talk about, but we also have it coming out this year that we're super excited for. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention. Long, right? I just wanted to mention it just because we're mentioning all these other things well, we're stoked on. So, dude, there's so many good films coming out here soon. One just dropped this weekend, The Dead Don't Die. I'm looking oh, forward to that's that. Right. <laughs> that's right. Really looking forward to that. So yeah, it's a fun time to be a horror fan, especially. I think, we're after, I think we're going to figure out a time to go see that at the Roxy while it's still there. Fuck yeah. And that'll be fun, too, because we've been there several times. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to pimp them out. Support your local cinema people. Uh, yeah, if it's around, definitely support it. But aside from that, like I said, aside from just some of the films I've been watching, hanging out, I just got some family in town, the trailers we've been watching, I did come across a couple of bits of horror news more so you know, pertinent to the show. One of the first things I read was that Sigourney Weaver, she has confirmed that she's reprising the role of Dana Barrett in Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters. So it'll be fun. You know, for those who grew up watching the originals, seeing like Dan Aykroyd come back, Bill Murray come back, Sigourney Weaver come back with the addition of some new faces. It's going to be fun. The fans are currently clamoring across the internet trying to uh, get Moranis back. That would be fucking dope, dude. I do like Rick Moranis a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, especially growing up during the time period we did, seeing him in all those films and knowing the reason why he, he dropped out of acting too. Right. You know, it's very noble. So I think it's, it's, it's time for him it's, to... It's time, right? Like, all of his kids are grown and shit now. Like, yeah. it's time for him to live in the limelight again. Yeah, hey, I'm okay with that. I've always liked Rick Moranis. I want to see a Moranis come back. That'd be awesome. Well, if nobody else has said it first, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, bring him back. But no, I'm excited about that. So that film looks like it's getting a release next year, and that is slated for a July 10th, 2020 release. Right, next bit of news I have seen, and this is another one we've seen in the theater, another one we've covered too, is that the new Pet Cemetery and the 30th anniversary edition are being released in tandem on the 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray copy. So... They're going to come with like alternate endings, deleted and extended scenes. There's all kinds of different behind-the-scenes features, like over 90 minutes of behind-the-scenes featurettes, which is really cool. So for those who enjoy both films, don't have a physical copy, this might be a nice one to have. The Mondo version of the original Pet Cemetery's recent release on Stillbook was fucking dope. It's like, ah, I just bought a Blu-ray of it. I don't need an updated version. <laughs> it's like, you're trying to take all my money. <laughs> But anyhow, aside from that, I did see that for fans of the Conjuring series, it looks like filming has kicked off with, uh, of course, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. They're reprising their roles. How fucking many of them are there now? Well, you have, what, The Insidious, The Conjuring. This is the third one for The Conjuring. This is the third Conjuring. Well, Annabelle, but, all that But shit. I was going to say, then the Annabelle ties in. So the, you have this whole universe. That fucking nun ties in, right? Yeah. So there's probably, what, a good close to ten films in that, that whole series? Oh, and they linked it to Insidious, didn't they? I think so. I think Fuck it's all a part of the beans. same universe. Oh, I have heard good things about Insidious. I want to watch it at some point. I want to say I have seen all, not all, Insidious and Conjuring, but I haven't seen any of the Annabelle films. Okay. I've seen at least one of both The Conjuring and Insidious. Those just 
come off to me like, and I've, I haven't seen them. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a reason why they continue to be so popular. But just from watching the trailers, to me, they seem to have went the same direction that like the Paranormal Activity movies went. No doubt. <laughs> All right. The one thing I can say about those films is that I understand the reason why they do pull in the crowds because it's one of those types of films where it's not like gory and it's not excessive. It's still quote unquote scary. Sp- yeah, jump scary, you know, spooky. It's something you can watch and still go to sleep without being too terrified. So I think there's a, a certain appeal to people who aren't necessarily like, you know, aficionados, you know. It's good for the mainstream. And I think it hits across, you know, all whether it's old or young. It's it's fun for everybody. I don't want to completely knock them. I'm kind of curious. I I want to know if they are at any point in them like trying to work in some like truly dark shit from that we see more often in like the less popular horror <laughs> movies, I guess. Yeah. And like uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but I think you all feel what I'm trying to say if you're horror fans. We all know. We know. We in the know. Yeah, like I said, they're nothing that like blow my mind. Because I do, I don't want to get down on people for watching them. Because yeah. if it's a gateway for them to watch other shit too, then like I'm down, and I haven't seen them, so I'm not going to completely say they're horror. I think shit, that's probably but... a good analogy, or at least way of looking at them is a, is a kind of a gateway from watching horror films to actually wanting to watch them. But at the same time, like when I watch the trailers for them. There's nothing about them that nah, impress dude. me. Like, <laughs> they're not going to blow your mind, dude. They're kind of like the supernatural equivalent of maybe the Purge films. Mm-hmm. I feel like something like that. Maybe a little bit better written. But that's the thing. Like the Purge ended up. I liked that. I liked them. more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, like didn't blow our minds, but they were entertaining as fuck. Yeah, I'm still waiting for them to do a full on Purge like we want to see. I know, right? <laughs> the fucked up purge but yeah well you never know i think we're only getting one more and i don't think that's gonna be it so yeah i think you're right about that but that's okay we still enjoyed them like i said we didn't have high hopes but they i think they surpassed our expectations mm-hmm. yeah but did see that as far as that goes uh for those who are curious about the conjuring 3 it is set for release on september 11th never forget day 2020 all right next bit of news i've seen is because we enjoy these guys it looks like orion has picked up a film called Savalta. It's a new horror film from Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. Like I said, we're big fans of those guys. We've covered Shaun of the Dead. You know, we've talked about Hot Fuzz and some of the other projects they've been in. So, yeah, see what happens. All right, I've got two other bits of news, and that kind of rounds out what caught my eye. I have seen some news for those who are familiar with the Amityville horror movie series, franchise, etc. It is getting a prequel, which is entitled Amityville 1974. And unlike some of the sequels, you know, after Amityville, this one's actually going to focus more on the actual family that the whole story is based on and the family that moved in like four weeks after that mass murder. So for those who are looking forward to that, it looks like... The person who is writing and directing it is Casey Lascala. So we'll see what happens. should be interesting. In the last little bit of news I have seen, another film we've covered, we actually had Donkey on for that. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. The Boss Sauce. Black Christmas. Yeah, so our recent Christmas episode, Black Christmas, it is getting a remake, and it's actually coming out this year in theaters. It's slated for a December 13th 
premiere, and it does star Imogene Poots, who was in Green Room, another film we've covered. So yeah, let's see what happens, man. I, you know, we've talked about the fact that we've seen the other remake that came out, like, I don't know, the early 2000s, oh, mid-2000s, yeah. something like that. Shit, it, was, it, was, it was all right. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the original, man. It was really good. And it was one of those precursors to the slasher genre of films. Uh-huh. So yeah, we'll see what happens for those who are maybe not acquainted or are acquainted and want to check this one out. Check it out I'm, in December. Yeah, I'm curious. I'll be more curious if I get to see at least one trailer for it. To Likewise. see sort of what direction they're going with it. Whether they're trying to sort of reinvent it or just redo it. Good point. We'll see. Yeah, trailer will tell us all we need to know. But yeah, aside from that, that's a little bit of the news I caught within the last two weeks. I know we've talked about some of the things we've been up to, but I'm really looking forward to talking about today's film. I'm looking forward to it too, so let's just jump into the guts and bolts of Black Sabbath. Minute, 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 minute. <laughs> guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts, Black Sabbath. 1963 shit i guess i know synopsis (laughs) right but that's so this is an anthology movie right we've done an anthology before with trick or treat but trick or treat even though it's an anthology it kind of all wraps up into one story absolutely yeah it's like four different stories converging into one bigger story but this is this isn't that no these are like three separate tales so i guess you have the telephone right which is about a chick getting menacing phone calls and where that leads exactly the vertilock which is what would be a good way to do the vertilock a traveler encounters a family at a time when one of their own may have been turned against them and the last one is oh god what's the drop of water the drop of water okay i didn't write it down i'm just like i it's the dripping <laughs> the drop of water which is oh god how to explain that what's her profession from what i understand it a was mortician a nurse, a nurse? A, yeah a nurse <laughs> slash i guess it's a nurse yeah yeah a nurse experiences the fallout of a uh, work indiscretion. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, and that's to keep these spoiler-free, so that's, that's how we kind of walk around these. But I think that's a good brief synopsis for what all three of those tales entail. So from week to week, of course, we like to talk about the people who go into making the film. And this week we'll start off by talking about our director. Who's the biggest name, maybe? I would say arguably one of the biggest names we'll ever talk about. I mean, aside from like Corman and those guys, but... In terms of Italian cinema, this is like one of the biggest names you're going to talk about. And we're talking, of course, about Mario Bava. So with Mario Bava, he has directed a lot of films I've actually seen, but some of them include Black Sunday, the films Evil Eye, The Whip and the Body, Blood and Black Lace, A Bay of Blood, the film Shock. There are some other films along the way, too, that I actually own, one of them being Five Dolls for an August Moon, which I really enjoy that one. There's an actress in that that's a baby doll. But regardless, he's known for a lot of the Giallo-style films. And actually, there's a big bad reason why we're talking about this film aside from him, but one of the three tales actually kind of spurred on the Giallo-style telling from the Pulp Fiction novels. So that's really cool. All right, so long 
with Baba, we have several writers, and some of these stories are actually adapted by some other short stories. So some of those stories were adapted by Anton Chekhov, Alexei Tolstoy, and Guy de Maupassant. The actual screenplay was written by Marcelo Fondato, and he has helped write the screenplays for such films as Everybody Go Home, Blood and Black Lace, and Watch Out, We're Mad. There's two others. Mario Bava actually helped with the screenplay. And Alberta Bellavacqua, he has helped with the screenplay for such films as Adam Age Vampire, Planet of the Vampires, and Eye of the Cat. Our cinematographer on this film is Ubaldo Trezano. He's helped with some other Bava films, which include The Whip and the Body and Blood and Black Lace. Our editor, he has a very established career, and that gentleman is Mario Serendre. And I was reading a little bit about him. So he has helped edit over 200 films in his career. He started off, of course, as an assistant director. And then when he did get to edit, he edited such films as Federico Fellini's El Bodone. He's also helped with Pietro Francisco's Hercules from the 50s and Hercules hmm. Unchained. He also helped with three of Valerio Zerlini's films, and those are Estate Valente, La Ragazza con la Villegie, and Cronica Familiare. He also helped with Robert Aldrich in Sergio Leone's film, and that film is Of Sodom and Gomorrah from 1963. Of course, he also helped with such films as Black Sunday. He actually co-wrote that film, Today's Film, and Blood and Black Lace as well. So, I mean, he had a very storied career, especially in Italian cinema. All right, the music in this was done by Roberto Nicolosi. He's helped compose the music for such films as The Black Devil, Black Sunday, Eric the Conqueror, and Evil Eye. And for the U.S. version, because there are two cuts of this film, is Les Baxter. And this is actually somebody we've talked about before. Reason being is because we covered a little film called The Raven. Oh, that's right. Right, and he composed the music for that. But for those who want a little bit more of his catalog, because he has a wealth of films, I think most notably... Some of the Edgar Allan Poe adapted stories that AIP did, like House of Usher, etc. He was known for doing those. And he actually, he composed a lot of music for the films from Italy that got a U.S. cut. This being another one of those films. All right, and producers on this film are Alberto Bersanti and Lionello Santi. There is a wealth of production companies. I was prepared this week. <laughs> But those production companies are Empire Cinematografica. They helped produce this film. Societe Cinematographique Lear. They were part of the French team that helped produce this film. Galatia Film. They were also known as Galatia SPA. That was the Italian branch of the production companies. Already mentioned that American International Pictures, AIP, helped produce this. That was for the U.S. version. And Alta Vista Production actually have the copyright for this film. All right, the distributors were Warner Brothers. They helped with the 1963 Italian theatrical and dub version of the film. And AIP helped with the 1964 USA theatrical release, which was also dubbed in English. The release dates were August 17, 1963 in Italy and May 6, 1964 in the States. Box office didn't do too well. It made $65,000 in Italy and $419,000 here in the States. The tagline, there's several, they're kind of variations of each other. Okay. But the one that I did write down is, this is the night of the nightmare, the day of the undead. Okay, that does... I think that has, just has to do with the Sabbath. <laughs> Black Sabbath, perhaps. But yeah, I saw that like written all over a couple of posters. All right. So with the cast, the way I'll break this say, down... How do you do a tagline for an anthology movie? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> other Honestly. than like... 
old school like 50 style taglines with like whole paragraph yeah <laughs> basically spelling out the fucking film yeah that's a good point all right so the way i got the cast is by whichever segment they're in okay all right so keep in mind too this is a little bit of a spoiler a little bit of trivia is that depending on which version you watch of this film there are different orders the segments oh yeah good point yeah, you can tell which version you're watching by which comes first. So, exactly. Uh, I watched The Italian. As did I, but also own the copy of the film, so I have two versions of it. I mean, they, you know, it comes with both. Mm-hmm. So I watched... The only one I didn't watch, like, English version, was um, Drop of uh, the Drop, Drop of Water. Water. Yeah, that's the only one I didn't watch. All right, anyway. We'll start off with the telephone. So if you're watching the Italian version, it starts off with the telephone. And with that, we have Michelle Mercier. She plays the role of Rosie in the film. And she has been in a lot of films, but a few of them I actually have written down was the film Shoot the Piano Player. She was also in Fury at Smuggler's Bay. You might have seen her in a film entitled A Global Affair. She was also in the films You Can't Win Them All and The Call of the Wild. Along... With Michelle, we have Lydia Alfonsi. She plays the role of Mary in the film, and she has been in such films as Hercules, The Trojan Horse, and Life is Beautiful. Now, there are also two other actors. I'll talk about them once we get to that section. They didn't really get credited for their roles, but I'll mention them when we get to it. All right, so the next segment I had is The Word Lock, and in that we have actually our host as well in this film, and that is Boris Karloff. Who Which plays the role of Gorka. We have talked about Boris Karloff before in our Raven episode. Exactly. However, if this is... Like, if you're listening to a horror podcast, you should probably <laughs> know who the fuck Boris Karloff you is. You would hope. But, I mean, if you're new, maybe you wouldn't know. But, like, this is this is old school royalty. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about Universal Monsters from way back when. We, I mean, we actually covered The Creature from the Black Lagoon. But for those who are more familiar with films like The Mummy... Or Frankenstein, you know, things of that nature. You're talking about Mr. Karloff. And, I mean, he's an icon in horror in general, so. The famous fucking Frankenstein face, like that front full on, yeah, dude. that's him in Bride Frankenstein. Yeah. And I'm talking so about the awesome. famous shot that they oh, use yeah, all the time. Oh, yeah, no like, doubt. He's obviously in Frankenstein. Yeah, whenever I think of the monster, Frankenstein's monster, I do think of that image that you've got pulled up yeah. of Karloff. I mean, that's iconic, so. Once again, we're talking about Karloff here. So along with Mr. Karloff, we have Mark Damon, who's actually a United States actor. He was a part of the AIP team. Mark Damon. <laughs> not related. I was thinking that, too, the whole time I was watching this. <laughs> that was the first... When I saw that name pop up, I'm like, he's not related, is he? I don't And know. I had to go check it out. I didn't see I don't think they are. They aren't. <laughs> All right. So he plays the role of Vladimir Durfe, and he has been in such films as House of Usher he was in The Beauty and the Beast from way back when. He was also in The Devil's Wedding Night. He was also in the film Crypt of the Living Dead. And he's a producer for a shit ton of films. Actually, I think he's more known probably for his production. Nowadays for being a producer and has probably been far oh. more successful as producer than he was totally as an agree. actor. He was producer on things like, oh, fuck, Nine and a Half Weeks, Short Circuit, Never Ending Story, Das Boot. Yeah, dude. Uh, Some big films. The 1994 Jungle Book, the live action one with Lena Headey. Not a lot of people remember that. <laughs> I remember I, that. I had film. it on VHS. Monster, he yeah, was dude. producer on that. That was fucking huge. I mean, 
<laughs> Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. I mean, they can't all be hits, but <laughs> for the ones that are, they're pretty big hits. So that was really cool. All right, so some of the other actors and actresses I have are Susie Anderson. She plays the role of Stenka in this film. And she has been in such films as The Warrior Empress. She was also in Thor and The Amazon Women. She was also in the films War of the Zombies. And one I had to write down, not that we'll ever, ever talk about it. <laughs> I think I know what you were going to say. Yeah, dude, I was like, I have, to, I have to say it. Is The Magnificent Cuckold. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, holy shit, that's so funny. Now, if I'm not mistaken, she doesn't go by that name. That's like, I guess, her stage name. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Maria Antoinette Golgi. She's uh, from Pula, which I think is a Croatian town. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I know she's not American with that name. She looks too European. But anyway, moving on, I have Massimo Regi. He plays the role of Pietro. He was in such films as Atlas Against the Cyclops, Battle of the Worlds. He was also in Baba's Blood and Black Lace. And the other film is Planet of the Vampires. We have two other actors, and one of them is Rika Dailina. She plays the role of Maria in the film. She was in the films The Monsters and The Death Ray of Dr. Mubuse. And the last actor in this segment I have is Glaco Onorato. He plays Giorgio. He was in the film Deep Red, which is an Argento film, but he went uncredited in that film. And he was also in Hustlers Caligula from the 1970s. All right, so for the next segment, The Drop of Water, I'll lead off with actress Jacqueline Pirot. She plays the role of Helen Chester. She's a nurse in this role. She was in such films as The Turkey and Top of the Form. The next actress I have is... Millie Monti. Her actual name is Carla Mignone. And for those who live in Italy, for whatever reasons if they're listening, they might know her because she is one of Italy's greatest singers. Hmm. And she plays the maid in this film. Alright, the next actor I have is Harriet Medden, plays the neighbor, and they were in such films as The Whip and the Body, Blood and Black Lace. Death Race 2000, The Terminator, and The Witches of Eastwick. And Harriet, actually, she was um, she was the one towards the end of the segment when they discover. Right, okay. All right, and the last actor I have is Gustavo Dinardo. He plays the police inspector, and he was in such films as Evil Eye, The Whip and the Body, Baron Blood, Man of La Mancha, The Great Kidnapping, and Rabbit Dog. So he went and starred in a lot of Baba films as well. Baron Blood. <laughs> yeah, Baron Blood. But yeah, that rounds out our cast, our crew. We gave you a brief synopsis. There are some warnings we should give you. Oh, let me think. What do we have for warnings? There's a little bit of blood and gore. Not much, little, but there's a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit of blood and gore. gore kind of quotations. a disturbing face. Oh, for sure, dude. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, there's some disturbing imagery. I think there's not necessarily jump scares or anything like that, but I think some of the music heightens the tension. Uh, vampires? Yeah. Spirits. Yes. Nothing uh, else. Oh, yeah, I guess there's a little, bit, there's of a little violence, bit of violence. There's a little bit of violence, yeah. Implied lesbianism. Yes, there's that. Least, at least as long as you're watching the Italian version. There's some ism in it. <laughs> but not if you're watching the American version. Good point, yeah. Then you get the sanitized version. Yeah, you get the clean, no pun intended, you get the stripped down version of it. Yeah. God, I think that's about it. I mean, honestly, it's a it's it's a horror movie, but it's nineteen sixty three. Like, it's pretty tame, especially because we're not talking like a like a Herschel Gordon Lewis flick. Exactly. It might be Mario Bava, but he it's wasn't doing splatter. He nice, was doing borderline stylish. giallo. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, if you're comfortable with that, if you like anthology tales, if you like Karloff, if you like oh, yeah, AIP, if you like, if you like Bava, this movie is really highly regarded now. 
I've noticed like contemporary reviews put this way up through the roof. I'm not against it, but we'll get into that in just a minute. No doubt. Let's find out how it made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, so contrary to how we ended the last section sound, I do really, really like this movie. (laughs) That's understandable. Uh, I just don't understand, I guess, the retrospective view of putting it so high up on so many lists across the board and shit, it seems like. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say this movie might be the most influential movie we've ever done, but only because Black Sabbath got their name from this movie. Yeah. I know... Just by reading you know, some trivia and all that stuff, that Tarantino considers this one of his biggest influences. And I have a gut feeling, I'm pretty sure you do too, that there's another director who was highly influenced by at least one of the segments in this film. So I think in retrospect, you know, after all these years, in knowing Baba's name, this is probably one of his most highly touted films. And I can understand why too, you know. It kind of sparked that whole Giallo movement. Mm-hmm. No, and I thought it was good. I think it's a great movie. I really enjoyed watching it, but I guess I don't see still putting it quite so high up critically yeah, as I I've seen in that. retrospect. But yeah. that's not to say it's not great, though. I, I really enjoyed it. So, God, let's, I guess, dig into it section at a time. Yeah, I'm cool with that. And I think that's probably the easiest way to talk about this film, probably. But do we count the intro as a section? Boris Karloff talking to us? You could. Yeah, the reason I say that is because we mentioned that there are two cuts of the film. There's an Italian cut, of course, a U.S. Mm -hmm. cut. So in the Italian cut, if you watch that cut, it, you know, there's an intro of Karloff. It looks like he's a little bit in the background. Gives you the introduction, etc. Some chopped up Italian. But in the U.S. version, there's actually a black backdrop with a floating Karloff head. Introducing, oh, what? Yeah, introducing the film and the segments to come. Okay. So it's a lot different. Whereas, like you said, in the Italian cut, it looks like he's on a soundstage or yeah, he, in a studio somewhere. Yeah, in a nice suit and they exactly. zoom in on him. And... Yeah, so there are two different intros that lead off the films. I didn't look into all the differences, and so this is going to be really eye-opening. All I know is that the telephone cuts the references to lesbianism. Right, right, right. Let's start with that. How do you cut that? Because that makes it a completely different story, right? Okay, so I'm glad you bring this up. Because, yeah, without that element to it, there's also a, a, I won't say weird, but what they did was they were trying to tone down on the violence, AIP that is, right? Mm -hmm. So their branch, when they released in the States, they wanted to focus it more towards like the teenage group of that time period. Okay. Whereas Glacier Galatia the Italian branch, this was geared towards adults. So it was more adult-driven, hence the themes of lesbianism and murder and all this other stuff. So what they did, AIP is, is not only did it take the lesbianism I mean, that makes sense because it feels straight pulp. Right. They also made it supernatural, the story that is, AIP. And the way they did that was, instead of using Frank as like escaping from prison, Frank was already dead in the American version. And he comes back, haunts her like a ghost. And her ex-lover, whatnot, it's not even even implied that they had a romance at one time and all this other stuff. She more or less thinks that, was it Rosie, I think? Mm -hmm. That she's actually having like paranoid delusional hallucinations about his ghost haunting her and shit. 
So she's actually there to give her help as opposed to she's the one making the phone calls and fucking with her. So they cut all that stuff out. So it completely changes the narrative of the film or that segment, I should say. Wow. Okay. So, and that's compared to, I suppose, if you didn't watch this movie, but you're still listening to the podcast, the way the original Italian version goes rather than the American recut is... God, I'm going to fuck up their name. Rosie's the normal girl, right? Yeah. It's not well, the lover. Rosie, who's the, who's Rosie's the one who's like the main focus. Okay. Rosie's the, the main focus. So Rosie and at one Rosie point yeah. was involved with Frank. Exactly. He's a criminal. It's implied too that he might have been a pimp and these are call girls. Mm-hmm. Hence the telephone. But she's the reason why he is put away. Yeah. She narked on him. She narked on him. They were kind of a thing, it seems like. Yeah, it's implied. But she was seeing the other girl. What's the other girl's Mary. name? She was seeing Mary at the same time. He wasn't keen on that. Right. This is all really, by the way, none of this is spelled out directly. It's all implied through the dialogue. And you can actually put the entire story together. It's why the segment is so good, actually, looking back on it. You're but, right. It does have a very pulp feel to it. Very pulp feel. So Rosie was the one that got Frank put away, mm-hmm. but it wasn't to be with Mary. Mary. Right. She also swore to never see Mary again and has just been sort of off on her own. Yeah, you would think. Probably freelancing. Yeah. Mary feels spurned by this, reads about Frank getting out or escaping from prison, uses that as a cover to start harassing Rosie. <laughs> threatening her life so that she lets her as Mary back in. Right, right. She's going to seek her as, like, shelter and comfort. And it does seem like she's going to kill her at first, but has a change of heart. Right. Unfortunately, while she's having the change of heart, Frank did, in fact, want to come back to get revenge on Rosie. Rosie, yeah. Gets in, first person he sees is Mary. Mary right in the middle. Yeah. So strangles her to death. You're always where you weren't supposed to be. They make a point of it that he doesn't know that Rosie had swore to never see Mary, which I think he probably would have killed her anyway, but I think it's supposed to imply that if he knew that she had swore that, his first instinct might have instead been to question what the fuck are you doing here right. rather than exactly. immediately killing her. I think that's what the implication is supposed I think to be. Right. I, I read another thing. I don't know how much I believe this, but they said that he mistaken, uh, you know, when he first entered, that he killed Mary accidentally thinking it was Rosie. But it's like, uh, I, don't I don't think, buy that. no, you're always where you weren't supposed to be. Yeah, it's I, like, think, I don't buy that at all. No, I think he thinks that they were carrying on the lesbian affair the entire time. I 100% agree with you there. Especially because he walks into like their clothes strewn all over the place. Yeah, she's all splayed across the bed and her nightgowns and all that. But it's just because they weren't worried about picking up their shit with the fact that Rosie was experiencing such terror. Precisely. I still kind of think he probably would have killed her anyway, but like I said, I think the implication is supposed to be that he would have yeah. stopped and questioned what was going on if he would have known what the Right, but the true was. circumstances were precisely. So all the way through that point, right? In terms of how those phone calls were made and, you know, in the Italian cut, you don't know until you actually see Mary using her little scarf or whatnot. 
to throw her voice was like, mm, I don't think she's throwing her voice all the way just using that. <laughs> right? Oh, but then Rosie accidentally kills Frank. Or not accidentally. Kills yeah, I mean, Frank he when he attacks out. her. Right. And, and so leaves now, her with a mess. Yeah, basically <laughs> leaves her with a fucking yeah, mess. Yeah, two dead bodies. Two dead bodies and a note where she finds out that Mary was the one threatening her in the first place, which right. makes everything even more complicated emotionally. Dude, I would imagine I know, at that point. Emotionally and judicially, <laughs> probably <laughs> as well. It's like, ooh, you found out that she was making a call, so you killed her. Which is, by the way, a completely different story than what you just described to me, the American Cut. All right, so this is where it even gets murkier with the American Cut. Okay, so there's a lot of things, of course, that stay the same. There's some major differences. And one of those major differences you've already talked about, you know, they completely take away the ism, the lesbianism in this film, in the American Cut. And so when Mary does come over to comfort Rosie, she does give her the tea. She puts that whatever oh, yeah, tranquilizer, the tranquilizer right? all that stuff still plays out. I mean, they even still do the cuts, you know, like they cut mm-hmm. away when they're in their nightgowns or whatnot. Of course, in the Italian cut, it's implied that they're probably, you know, whatever they're doing in there. But in the American cut, it's just the way they do it is they focus on that window mm-hmm. just to let you know there's is a transition of time happening. So when Mary goes to make the confessional note in the Italian cut, you say, you know, she's confessing to the calls, et cetera, et cetera. In the American cut, she's actually writing a note implying or at least saying that she thinks that, you know, Rosie is tripping out on Frank. Like she's having hallucinations. She's being paranoid. I tranquilized you for your own good, etc. She still gets killed, which is weird. Like Frank still breaks in, chokes her out, lunges at mm-hmm. Rosie. She kills him with the knife and all that shit. But the note that gets dropped off on the staircase there's like, I think what the note was is it shows like his mugshot in the Italian cut, you know, escapes, oh, yeah. whatever. So <laughs> in the American cut, it doesn't do that. It's a blank letter and then it starts to ghost write. Oh, shit. It's like a ghost writing Frank, writing so her they, a message. They kept they, it really supernatural okay. in the American cut. It was more like a ghost story, a phantom. Honestly, okay. I mean, I kind of feel like I might have to watch the American Cut now because it doesn't sound like the worst story of all it's time. It's not the Just worst, dif- but completely different. When you watch the two, yeah, they're, they're two completely different ways of telling the same story. The Italian one sounds like a 40s pulp story. N- yes, entirely. And The American one sounds like fucking urban legend. It does. It really does. It kind of made me think about urban legend, too, with you know the phone calls, like the call coming from inside, mm-hmm. whatever. So there is that feel to it. An urban it sounds film. like, or like a campfire ghost story. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at that. They're still both pretty decent tells. I like, of course, I like the Italian cut a lot more. Not only that, it's just the way that they use the Technicolor. They use it over in Europe, and they use a different method uh, here mm. in the States. Just tonally, and the way the colors pop on an Italian cut, man, <laughs> it looks so good. Oh, yeah. The telephone and the drop of water are both beautiful looking vertilock isn't bad looking it's just no, more straight can, ahead though yeah i think you can tell that one was more shot on the stage like a big production mm-hmm. stage yeah so that's more for, for me it felt more like an actual stage production i was that was one of my notes is that i was kind of worried yeah i think we've touched on this a little bit but there's a little bit of a time period in like 40s 50s 60s even a little bit into like 70s cinema and beyond, although beyond, it's done more on purpose rather than yeah, a, exactly. as a holdover to the old ways. But 
you do sort of see a transition at times between staging things like you would in a stage play and making use of what you can do with multiple cuts and cinema and being able to place a camera around and making you feel like you're living in a location. And I was worried for a little bit because the telephone <laughs> is pretty much staged as a stage play. Yeah. Then I kind of realized after watching this whole thing that that was more of a stylistic choice right, right. where you're just living in the room with her. Because yeah, the other ones, because yeah. the other ones use a little bit more, I guess you would think of as being modern yeah. filmmaking language. I think that's a good point of looking at that. Is uh, some of the things before we move on to the next segment is when I was doing my research. Of course, this is what it was said about the telephone segment. It was, or it has been described as one of Baba's first attempts at giallo films. It also says that this was the first color film that attempted to emulate the visual style of the covers that appeared on Giallo Digests. Oh. Yeah, and it is actually the first Italian crime drama, etc. actually in color. I've seen I've seen Giallo covers. That's absolutely true. This movie well, does yeah, look a quite a bit like pulpy. a Giallo cover. Yeah. yeah. And for the set, it said some of the set pieces were taken from the black and white Giallo film, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. So okay. stylistically, it's like, yeah, this feels just like a giallo. I mean, you can't help but notice it. And I think, too... Drop of Water, too. Oh, no doubt, man. And I mentioned to you... The um, name as well. The Drop yeah. of Water is way more giallo-y than it is fucking horror The telephone. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of simple. But you're right, yeah. I mentioned to you was the use of, like, the filters. At least in the Italian cut, you can definitely tell. was, like, the mm-hmm. green hues and the pink hues they were using. Oh, I love the pinks. I really love how nice. they're not afraid to shy away from these brash pinks just highlighting the background. Yeah, and shit. I really enjoy that. And of course, you already mentioned that it takes place in the drop of uh, water as well. All right. So, with that being said, we can move on to our next segment, which actually holds true in both the Italian and U.S. version is the Verdelac. Oh, Verdelac's second in the, the American as it well. Is. They just flip the other two? Yes. Okay. So, it's not entirely different, but I think. It changes the tone a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Vertiloc, I am happy that I can say that I went into knowing what the fuck a Vertiloc was. That's awesome. Thanks to the fact we've talked about this back in the our very, very first episode. But my intro to horror movies was through the fact that I like to read about like monsters and shit in folklore. Hell yeah. Vampires, of course, is a very major monster type. So I was like, uh, Vertiloc's a Slavic vampire. Now, I have done a little bit more reading since, and the etymology of the word Vertiloc is really fun because it's somewhat related to the Greek Vrikalakis, which kind of makes sense due to some of the proximity. The Vrikalakis is usually thought of as being the Grecian version of a vampire, though it's not as associated with drinking blood as what we normally think of vampires being. However, Vrikalakis is named Vrikalakis because it was influenced by, I think, the Russian word for werewolf. And as you trace the folklore back further and further, it seems that what eventually became known as these more vampiric creatures almost all originated as being werewolf creatures Hmm. in the earlier folklore and the earlier meanings of the words with Vrikalak also being a corrupted form of a Russian word, which means wolf with his skin turned inside out. Huh. That's pretty cool. 
So it's weird. And especially because thanks partially, I think, to Underworld. And then further highlighted by Twilight, we kind of think as vampires and werewolves as being these like opposite ends yeah, of the spectrum. Yeah. Like two different but you end up with these things where their history is so ridiculously intertwined. That's um, pretty gnarly, dude. But then the thing about Vertilox is they do kind of go after their families, as we see in this. Though, with my reading, it was unclear whether that is super traditional or if that was a notion only introduced after the uh, Tolstoy book. Huh, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's why I like the origin stories. You you don't realize how much things have in common until you actually do like the research. You're like, oh shit. And how much they just like those ideas pollinated across those like three cultural groups that all kind of intermixed in that region. That's pretty neat. And then bounced back and forth and influenced their language uh, back and forth. Probably no pun intended, but they were playing a game of telephone. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> just like oh, lost in translation. <laughs> Like I said, just taking the common ideas and some of the meanings change, but it's still kind of neat, man. I like that. So, yeah, leading off with the word lock, what I like, too, is that this is the only film that Karloff actually played a vampire in. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool, though. Yeah. I didn't think he ever played a vampire. Honestly, I didn't even think about that, right? (laughs) I watched him play a vampire twice in the past two weeks. (laughs) So there you go, dude. I just, I still was like, no, Mummy and Frankenstein, fuck you. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not your, your legacy, but he does what he do. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, the way that this starts off, and there's already some variations, right? In the Italian cut, you get Damon's character, Durfe, right? He's like a, a nobleman. He's a count or something like mm-hmm. that, right? He's riding his horse across the countryside. He comes up upon a headless corpse with a dagger stuck in its body, right? So that's how you get the introduction, of course, in the Italian cut. In the American cut, it's a little bit longer. So he rides actually past the cathedral, like the ruins of the cathedral. He rides down to where I think Giorgio, whomever, Pietro, maybe it was, mm-hmm. finds the little kid in that, like the forest, whatever. He finds traces of blood, and then he looks up on like the cliff, and he sees a horse with the body on its back, and he follows it up, and then that's kind of where they converge, right? Okay. And then leading into the Italian cut, you get where he's actually at the house of Gorka and his relatives. There's a little bit more of a writing scene that Damon has before he actually gets to the house. So Because Americans like horses? Yeah, well, I think they give you a lot more establishing shots of actually the, those locations oh, before okay. you actually get there to them. Like I said, they're just giving you, I guess, a little bit more of a backdrop. I wouldn't mind more establishing shots in that story, honestly. That cathedral did sort of come out of nowhere at the end. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck? But yeah, I kind of do like that. A little bit more of those establishing shots. Gives a little bit more context before the actual story happens. Mm -hmm. All right, so then, of course, Deerfake finds the home of Gorka and his relatives. He goes inside because he has a dagger, sees the outline, gets greeted, (laughs) if you want to call it that, by one of Gorka's sons, explains what he had found. When he goes to show him, one of the other brothers is already like taking a dagger out or stabbing the sword into the heart. Oh, was it Alibek? Some Turkish Yeah, some Turkish badass. <laughs> yeah. So that whole story is explained, right? That there's the Vertilok in this area. You might not want to spend the night because we're expecting our dad back. At the stroke of midnight, you probably don't want to hang around because after it's not going to be pretty. Right? So they're expecting Karloff's character to be back. He said after five days, if he's not back at this time, 
kill me, pierce me through the heart. Mm-hmm. So the family's a little on edge. And then he finally does return, and he doesn't look that hot. And there's a big tall tale sign, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, yet they were still debating. Yeah, it's like, he's already giving you the warnings. You, I honestly, I really like the word a lock. The first time through, it was my favorite of the three. After my second time through, I'm not sure if I would still rate it as my favorite of the three. But it does require the characters to be really stupid for most of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to pull this oh, off. And yeah. willfully ignorant. Um, Which, I mean, I think it's supposed to be more willfully ignorant than anything else. Right. But, ah, oh, come on, man. That fucking stab in the chest. I know. I was like, come on. He's already looking like and then shady. And then ordering you to kill the dog and like. Yeah. No meat. <laughs> I, He's doing some strange things. Yeah, I think that's the final straw right there. It's like, oh no, you came back as a word lock, you son of a bitch. Yeah, he's all <laughs> fucked up looking. So you're right. Like, he's giving did you he, all these... I can't remember. So did he come back late? He came back, like, after midnight. They were expecting him before midnight or at, at midnight, and he came, like, right after all that stuff happened. Right. So, okay. So what, that, it was that, makes, a, that makes a big difference for something I'm going to bring up in a okay. minute. So, okay. Keep going, though. You were great, giving a great rundown of this. Yeah. Because so, you were giving me the American one. I don't know what happens here. Yeah. So, one, like, so once he's in the house, there are some differences, right? The interaction with the kid, the dialogue he has. I was like, man, this feels a little creepy pedo with the kid, you know, with his mm-hmm. grandson. It's like, yeah, I know, but. Uh, oh, there's a weird. Oh, I saw somebody making fun of it online, but there's a weird line he gives, but. Yeah, so some of the dialogue, there is a difference. There's even, like, a little bit of a cut beforehand before you see him actually have, like, his grandson on his lap by the fire, you know. Can a man fondle his own grandson? Yeah, yeah. oh, my God. I'm not going to go there, but you get you get the idea, right? So there's a little bit of that. There is some dialogue that changes. It's to tone down a lot of the violence. Like, for instance, when they're talking about Ali Beck, being the Verdelock and what they found. And, you know, how do you really know that was Ali Beck? I'm the only one who actually has the proof. That's what Karloff says, right? Mm-hmm. So in the American cut, the AIP cut, you never see the severed head. And you never hear him say, put it outside for those to see. Oh, okay. In the Italian cut, of course, you get to see all that, you know? Which, mm, All right, I'll talk about that too. That so, severed head. <laughs> yeah, so Baba's father actually sculpted and created that head. He also created another figure we're going to talk about here a little did bit. He, did he create the puppet heads for all the puppets in Team America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Because it's kind of what that head looked yeah, like. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, it's not the most believable, but it's in a weird way. I mean, it's super iconic, too. When you see like posters for this film, you usually see the head. Off, yeah, with the severed head. I thought it looked better when he had it inside than when they had it outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Because you don't get to see it quite as much. But on the outside, you're like, okay, yeah, that's a troll head, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but so be it. But his father, Eugenio, is the one who designed that stuff. All right. So there's the difference there, right? Of course, the whole time, Mark Damon's character, Dirafe, he's wanting to hook up with Stenka. Right? He's like, right. damn, girl, I ain't never heard that name, but you hot. <laughs> I think I'm going to stick around for a bit, see where this goes. Going to end up with Stanka finger. Yeah, that's right. Dude, a Stanka leg. I loved it. So, uh, yeah, that was his whole mission. He tells her, he spells all that shit out. That's where they, it plays like that damsel in distress kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I can't really have this work. You know, there's some bad shit's going to happen. You might, you might as well dip out, bro. 
right? So anyway, there's a difference between the dog, which is kind of weird, I suppose, a little bit. The American version lets you know, like, for sure that dog got blasted. Because when you hear the shots, it's, like, loud, mm-hmm. you know? So they play that up a bit more. And not that there's a huge difference, but like I said, the way they do the violence and the sound effects and the score, there are some differences. Like, I know we didn't mention it in the telephone, but Les Baxter's score, they put more emphasis on, like, when stuff is ratcheting up to, like, really ratchet it up with, like, horns and just loud sounds. Okay. Whereas I think the Italians use more of the sound effects, you know, the atmosphere to create those moments of tension. So there is a major difference in terms of the tone of these films. Because otherwise the Italian score kind of reminded me of the Pink Panther score. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. Les Baxter's was a little bit more jazzy, a little bit more whimsical at times, but Mm -hmm. like the strings and horns and like some more percussive sounds kind of played out. Like, you know, it's to each their own. I highly prefer the Italian cut, be honest. I mean, through and through with all the segments. Mm-hmm. But moving on, moving on, of course. We finally get to the part where we know Gorka is a vampire, right? Kills his sons, kidnaps the grandson, takes him in the woods. The mother and the father of the kid are discussing, you know, I don't want you to chop his fucking head off and stab him in the heart. Let's give him a proper burial. Unfortunately, that kid comes back and the mom's acting fucking batshit right mm-hmm. no logic there like the dad of course is trying to protect he gets stabbed gorka bites her and then stenka and Durfe hide out in the cathedral she gets bit by the family he comes back and that's where it changes again in the american version and the italian cut is they prolong certain shots they don't give you kind of like the close-up of her eyes and all that stuff it's it's a little bit more watered down okay yeah it's just they do a lot of cutaways unfortunately so there i mean there are some differences not major this is probably the one that doesn't have quite as much cuts you know doesn't change a lot of the tones but throughout like so the aip cut does tone down a lot on the violence yeah so for instance like after uh Durfe gets bitten at mm-hmm. the end right professes his love the way that they stop it or like the the differences is you know, they pan out but they actually cue back to the horse, like riding off, like blazing off in the distance. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's kind of a weird difference in the AIP cuts. Like they didn't really need to do that per se. So the differences I did look up was the story is basically an almost exact adaptation of Tolstoy's family, the Vertilakis. His makes a little bit more sense. I haven't read it myself. I did look up a couple of the bare bones differences. The main difference is the time frame. As the Marquis coming through, he runs into the family. It's kind of the same sort of thing plays out, except their father was going to be gone for 10 days rather than five. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't show up late. He shows up right at the time. Gotcha. And so the two brothers don't know how to interpret that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now you're on that. You're on the line, <laughs> literally. Yeah, on both sides. So the one thinks he's turned. The one thinks gotcha. he hasn't. The count, the not the count, the marquee, though, has to move on. Like, he's got shit that he has to get done. And so he has to leave at, I think, the same time that the brother who thinks the father has turned gets killed. Gotcha. But a year later, he's coming back through the region the town's pretty much wiped out. 
but he goes to the house to see what happens with them and is greeted by Stenka. Oh. And he's like, well, I was getting pretty sweet on her the last time I was here, and she seems to be into it. But then, sort of towards the end, he's like, oh, shit. Like, she's a Vertilaka. And he gets attacked by her and, like, pretty much most of the town. And he recognizes the family being there, but manages to get away and sort of... Gotcha. Live the tale another Mm -hmm. day. That's pretty cool. And that makes a lot more sense, you know. This one, of course, is a lot more condensed. But... And I felt like that too is like it's like the story. I like the story that was neat. It was a you know a different telling of a vampire tale. And you're right. I think the time period for at least this tale was like the 1900s, whereas with the Sod, much earlier than that. So major time differences. But yeah, this one's not too bad. One thing I did notice, which it actually spells out at the end of the film, is the way they were riding the horses when they did the close-ups. I love that shit. <laughs> Dude, I think we need to add those horse riding effects some fucking Jafar, son. I think that's a perfect, perfect way of uh, introducing that to some of our films. Yeah, overall I really liked it. Like I said, it was my favorite segment the first time through, but I think the second time through I, I can't quite say that as yeah, much. I can understand that. I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as the other two. I, I wouldn't say I'd put this you know last per se, but... It was still fun. Like I said, I like the sets. The set design was really good in this one. The acting uh, by Karloff was really good. I mean, everybody did their part to what they were supposed to do. It just, They were believable. The little kid felt a little out of place. <laughs> just kind of a, I won't say weird looking, but he just felt out of place. It was cool. Going and turning the kid was pretty dark, though. I that like was it. cool. I'm cold. Yeah. <laughs> that was dark. That was cool. Yeah. I, no, I, it's, I enjoyed it, man. It had a very, not necessarily gothic feel, but a little bit. A little bit of that. A little folktale. I liked it. All right. So the last segment, which is actually the first segment in AIP's cut, and that is the drop of water. And this one, and I mentioned before, you know, we've mentioned Tarantino being influenced. We mentioned Black Sabbath being influenced. What we mentioned before, we fucked up, though, right? Because it actually goes, American cut is... You get telephone. No, American no, no. cut. American cut is this right. telephone vertilock. Then the vertilock, right? Okay. And then the Italian cut is the way we've been doing it. Yeah. So, all right. So the last segment, which is the first segment we just mentioned in the AIP cut, the drop of water, and one of the main differences in this is the use of sound effects and the score I mentioned. A lot of differences throughout. So, one thing I wanted to mention before we even get into that. The band Black Sabbath, you know, which is kind of neat. That story altogether is kind of neat. I don't know if you know much about it or not. But they were named Earth, and then there was another band that was named Earth, and they were kind of just blown away by the idea that people would go pay to get fucking scared by a movie. Yeah, they said And that, Black uh, Sabbath was playing, and it was up on the marquee. Yeah, and... yeah it was like in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. They just so happened to see it. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, you're right. They liked the fact that people were lining outside to see a horror film, you know? And they were like, we need a name like that. Black Sabbath. Yeah, so pretty dope. Yeah, Tarantino, I can see some of the visuals, of course. Mm-hmm. Giallo style, etc. There's another person, and I think mainly because of this segment. Argento? Sam Raimi. Oh, okay. The reason I say that is I'd watched a film just recently with a couple of my nephews, actually. And that was Drag Me to Hell. And Sam Raimi loves to use the fucking fly, the buzzing sound, a lot of his films, right out of this segment, right? 
And I think some of the cues from like the curse being handed down or being given because of other events. The thing with this segment for me is I feel like it would almost work better as its own full-length film. I can see that. I think you could really drag the haunting and how it gradually gets worse and worse. Like, drag it out. You could find a way to bring back around, like, the fact that she mentioned, like, oh, she always had a seance on Fridays. Well, like, if you start this on, like, a Monday, what happens when you get to Friday? You know what I mean? If the spirit's already been haunting you, and it's the spirit of somebody that always had the seance on Fridays, then what happens when you get to that Friday that and shit? Dope. You know yeah, what I mean? No so. shit. But you're right. I mean, a lot of these, you know, they were cut in segments. They couldn't be full length. A lot of it had to do with the way that Italian cinema was being shot during this time period, especially with, like, anthologies, mainly because their American counterpart, right? So what they would do is they would shoot these short segments because it would cut down on costs for actors and production. So keep it really cheap. But what they would do as well was they would get an older actor from a specific time period and then pair them with like what they call it was ingenue, which is like an Mm -hmm. innocent looking, typically like a sultry or maybe an erotic young female, right? Sometimes they do it vice versa with males. But the whole point was they would give an up-and-coming star, you know, a chance to showcase, and then an aging actor, you know, maybe on their way out, give them something of prominence as well. So you Mm -hmm. have this transition. So I think that's part of the reason, too, is like, you're right. I think this one could be a full length. I mean, hence maybe the drag me to hell. They actually do seances, and you get to experience some of that shit. But I was like, man, I can't help but think that. I haven't seen anything confirming that. That's just my own little hunch. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's still... I, I like this segment. The first time through, I really like this segment. It's like, ooh, this one's very creepy. I kind of like it. Very supernatural. The first time through, I would have rated it Telephone, my least favorite, then this one, and then Vertilock is my favorite. And I think after watching them twice, I would probably say the Telephone's actually my favorite. Cool. And then this one, and then Vertilock. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, you could interchange the drop of water or the telephone. Like I said, I like the water lock, but it just didn't feel tonally in place with the rest of these two. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know if it's because of the time period shift in that tale. But even this story, from what I was reading, it was supposed to be set in like the 19-teens. Okay. Which is like, uh, you know, I can kind of see that, but it also felt like modern, <laughs> too. <laughs> just kind of weird. But anyway, I did like this one the first time through, right? Really did. And a lot of it was because of those pink shots and those green hues, you know, popping at you. And just tonally, you could feel kind of like that manic thing going on mm-hmm. with her character. And just seeing the fly and like, oh, shit, this is something. It, it felt familiar, you know, so I, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more. I enjoyed the look of this one a little bit more than the telephone because they played into the colors and the lights even more and played around with the cinematography more and jumped around the room and showed things and used like early jump scares and shit that were pretty neat. But ultimately, I felt like it was predictable. For sure. I mean, once you kind of know what's going on, I mean, as soon as she takes the ring or as soon as she even looks at it, you know what the fuck's about to happen. She messed up. You don't take shit from dead people, especially one who's a medium who died in a seance. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Come on, man. That was the thing. I was like, as soon as she looked at the ring, I'm like, okay, I know this entire story. Let's just see what they do with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the creepy face, I was like, 
So this is where Annabelle comes from. <laughs> Dude, I was like, is that the creepiest sculpt, like, you know, characterization of a person that we have seen to date? It's like, that might be the most creepy. It's not believable, but it's still creepy. I liked it a lot. Like, mm-hmm. It was fucked up looking. <laughs> I mean, it was fucked up looking. It was fucked up enough, but still looked kind of fake enough that it almost took me out of it but not quite like i was like okay this is i can roll with this yeah that's how i felt about it too you're just right there on the edge i'm like i I can roll with this like whatever (laughs) um i mean ultimately it's not like i disliked any of these things but that was ended up being what edges out telephone in the end is that i was just like I know what's coming in this story. Yeah, yeah. And even at the end, you're like, of course the other person's going to take it. Yeah, like, she's like, oh, oh. me? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> yeah, so I just like how that plays out. So sounding nerdy once again, I can kind of give you the, the ideas or the differences between the cuts, right? Mm-hmm. So I already mentioned the fact that there's sound design differences, there's sound effects differences, and some of those occur, of course, throughout. One of the first ones I have, is that in the beginning, when you get the maid who's, I guess, about to call the nurse and let her know what's going on with the medium in the home, in the Italian cut, you actually hear the rain and thunder. Like, it's very Mm -hmm. prominent. In the U.S. cut, you don't hear any of that. They don't do that. They more or less play a little bit more on the musical cuts. Like, they play a lot more musical score. And the cat is, you know, the howling or the hissing is a lot more prominent. So they're playing a little bit more on those cues, right? I was going to say what the atmosphere that the Italian cut creates is a little different. All right, the dialogue in the Italian cut when the nurse actually comes over, you know, and greets the mm-hmm. maid, is that the nurse tends to be much more cold-hearted than the one in the U.S. cut. So some of the dialogue they have, right, when she's, like, complaining about being there, that you probably won't be able to afford paying me tonight anyway, mm-hmm. you know. She's like, no, we probably have a few shillings here or there, whatever. So it makes her a lot more bitchier makes her a meaner character in the Italian cut. Whereas in the U.S. cut, you don't get that. So you don't really know that she's going to sway that way. You know okay. what I mean? When she seals the ring, you don't know mm-hmm. that. So as it's just progressing along, it says, when the nurse first closes the dead medium's eyes, when she's like changing her clothes and, and all that shit, she's getting the maid to fetch other things. In the U.S. cut, there's a loud music sting. So when they actually like cut back and her eyes popped open, that score... It's like really ratcheted up with the strings where they don't do that in the Italian cut. It's just fucking creepy. Right? Yeah, it's just like, oh shit. Yeah, it's, they use more of the sound effects, right? It says, and then when the actual water starts to drip, you know, when she's starting to go through that. In the Italian cut, you actually hear loud drops of water followed by a close-up of water dripping into a bowl. Mm-hmm. Right? In the U.S., they cut that completely. And the, the sound effects change, too. Whereas in the Italian, it's that constant sound that refrain of that dripping. Yeah. In the U.S., they use different sound effects each time for okay. that dripping water. Some of it's flat. Some of it's more tintier sounding. So it changes. It kind of it throws things off a little bit. I mean, you, you still get the implication, but that's some of the differences there. It's more like the drippings in her head rather than these things are dripping like, all around the house. Yeah, precisely. So when the nurse returns home, when she actually has the ring, right, she's admiring it, the Italian cut that is, they make use of sound effects, whereas I already mentioned the U.S. cut relies more on the music to emphasize the drama, right, that what's going on in the apartment. When you hear the door knocks or, like, the creaking, actually there's door knocks in the U.S. as mm-hmm. the door's creaking, followed by thunder, the Italian cut. And then the U.S. cut includes more knocking sounds, a ghostly moan, 
and more nurse dialogue, whereas the Italian cut only uses more thunder and door creaking. So what I mean is when she's going through her psychosis and the medium starting to fuck with her, mm-hmm. in the AIP cut, she has more dialogue like, oh, this is not happening, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, like I so said, the Italian cut, it's just all the sound effects, the door creaking, the drips of water, the, mm-hmm. the thunder and rain And in the she's background. just freaking out. Yeah, you actually feel that, her manic state mm-hmm. kicking into gear. Right. And then, of course, she chokes herself out. So what I understand, too, is they didn't want the film to The choke to herself out was just kind of funny, too. <laughs> it was. You know, that's another thing, too. I, I did like the way that they, pretty sure it was like dollies or something, they were, you know, moving them forward into mm-hmm. the lens, as opposed to doing like a close-up lens shot. I like that, man. It, it felt, even in the uh, water lock, I like that, how they were zooming in like that on Karloff mm-hmm. and some of the other characters. But anyway, they didn't want to leave the film on a bleak, sour note, like just showing her face and, you know, having the reveal of the uh, the neighbor who found the ring, stole the ring, whatever, with the police inspector. So that's why in the Italian cut, the film actually ends with, with Karloff. With a Karloff outro. Yeah, which is fucking super dope. Because the segments are different too, right? We mm-hmm. mentioned. Is that, the, yeah, the film and the AIP completely different. And not only that... The thing I did like the, about AIPs, though, is in between the segments, Karloff came back and, like, oh, okay. briefly talked about the previous segment, made little puns, you know. Mm-hmm. Then it would lead you into the next segment, you know. And I like that. I felt like the Italian cut kind of missed out on not doing that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that does sound kind of nice, especially when you're doing an anthology. Yeah, whereas yeah. you go from one story right into the next one, and you don't really get anything until the end with Karloff. You get the intro and then the outro outtake. Which kind of makes a joke of it all. Yeah. Which, I mean, I like that. It's like light humor because the Italians do have a really good sense of humor, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's also a neat look into how they do that as well. Like, they make it look really good, but it's super simple. And I want to be a tree runner. Uh, fuck yeah. I mean, you got to run in a circle. <laughs> but it's like, that was really cool. So most of the cuts between the two, like, you can still get enjoyment out of them. They give you different elements to play with. It's just that if you want a more toned down version, watch the U.S. version. Still good. If you want more, like we were talked about, geared towards the adult end of the horror in the 60s, this is a good one. So either cut, you're not going to miss a whole lot. It just depends on what you like. Yeah, I did super dig it. Fuck Karloff, that's always great. (laughs) Finally got to see some Bava. What would you say is your favorite Bava? Because I know that you're actually into the Italians. Yeah, oh man, I have seen Black Sunday, super dope, black and white major reason why he got this film and the major reason why they named it Black Sabbath in the first place is they wanted to something capitalize off of, Black, off of Sunday. Black Sunday. Yeah, they wanted something that didn't sound too far off of that, right? Mm-hmm. I think this had a different like title before it was even named Black Sabbath. It was something like the fear or something like that. Oh, Three, three Faces of Death. Yes. Right, or Three Faces of Fear. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, eh, I mean, I can understand that, but Black Sabbath mm-hmm. yeah, it just has more of a... Minute, 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 minute. Yeah, exactly. So metal, that's cool. Metal. It's neat to know the influences. We already talked about that. Aussie, uh, Aussie. Yeah, uh, pretty much all my, my speaking points. I, w- I had a couple of talking points, questions I was going to ask, but we've already talked about some of our favorite segments, whatnot. Like I said, they, each of them have a different style. I mean, I've already gloated about the fact that I love Giallos and Argento, mm-hmm. Fulci, all those guys, Martino. This was nice. This is kind of like getting the precursor once again, like the godfather mm-hmm. <laughs> of the Giallos. So that was cool. First one in color, too, with a telephone, which is nice to know. A little bit of history there. Seeing Karloff as a vampire for the first time. 
Pretty Super dope. cool. And for me, because I do like Evil Dead, I know you were big fans mm-hmm. of Sam Raimi. It's just, man, I, I can't help but feel like that segment alone has influence on a lot of his films, specifically Drag Me to Hell. I mean, along with Night of the Demon, which is another AIP film. So, in short, I suppose, I really did enjoy this. It was a fun film. It was nice to visit a classic, a nice intro to Bava. I know you asked me. I do like Black Sunday a lot. I like Five Dollars for an August Moon a lot because of Edward Svanik. I have seen bits and pieces of his other giallos, like Blood and Black Lace. One of our vendors, actually, he's a big giallo fan, Mm. big Bava fan. I told him we were going to do this. He said, if you can, he said, look for the whip in the body because it has Christopher Lee in it. Nice. So I was like, oh, cool. Bava and Lee? Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat to note some certain things. Like, I talked a little bit about the history with AIP and uh, Galatia and all these different, you know, production companies. But because of the flop of one of his other films that he did with AIP, Bava, that is, and with the unsuccessful commercial release of this film, he was slated to do some more stuff with Karloff and Lee and I think Vincent Price. That just never happened. It just never happened because it didn't have the commercial success that they were looking for over here in the States. Mm-hmm. Not so much in Italy either, you know, which is, you know, it's hit or miss anywhere you go. But, you know, looking back on it, it's like, uh, you know, it's nice to know a little bit more about maybe that time period in cinema. This might be a little bit more advanced, I guess, for that time period for what they were trying to achieve. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, I think it's a good film. It's a good intro, if nothing else, to Baba. And it's a pretty interesting anthology tale as well. No, I, yeah, I fully enjoyed every segment. Great little movie. Shit, you know what, though? I already mentioned it to you once off mic. I'm already excited for what we're doing next week. Yeah, man, I'm glad you even suggested it. Because some things are coincidences, some things just happen because we're fans of certain things but i was thinking this weekend too is like what I, movie I know should we fin- do next yeah. what are we following up black sunday i know we black want Sabbath to with? we've already talked about midsummer so we want something leading into it of course but man i think you came up with a really good suggestion really good recommendation so next week hit subscribe we're gonna be doing audition by takashi Miike, one of our favorites a famously horrifying movie. <laughs> yeah, you know... <laughs> a famously fucked up movie. What I think is interesting, too, for <laughs> those who are wanting to kind of like tiptoe into the extreme end of horror, this might be a really good introduction to that. Right, and I mean, probably Miike's most famous. Arguably. In the horror say, genre, at least. Yeah. this is, It tends to go this, then people will talk about like <laughs> Ichi or... Agreed. Visitor Q and all that stuff. Yeah, imprint, all that you shit. Name it. Yeah. Imprint was what I was going to bring up, yeah. We've obviously already talked about him a couple times before, but I'm super excited to finally yeah. get to this movie. We've put it off for too long because we're like, oh, everybody talks about Audition. Well, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. Fuck you guys. <laughs> we're going to just revel in it, I Well, think. you know, the fun thing is, is we'll be able to show our fandom for Takashi Miike, and this is a perfect film to do that with. Dude, you were already talking about this might inspire you to watch a couple other Miike films yeah, this reals. week, and I think it might happen the same with me. I might get around to watching a couple others as well myself. Yeah, I mean, the last time we did a Miike film with Ichi, like, it inspired me to watch The Happiness of the Katakuris, and I'm glad I did, because that's a fucking wild movie. Nice. It's good, yeah. So... Like I already said, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. If you don't like how you're listening to us right now, you can always head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There's links up at the top to the most popular ways of listening to podcasts. 
and finding us on there. Or you can always stream our latest episode down at the bottom and find the full archives in between, as well as portals to all of our online places like the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram. You can always contact us through the website or by hitting us up squirmcast at gmail.com. Did I forget to tell them anything, Danny? No, you pretty much covered your bases. There is one thing we didn't get to mention because we had a week off. Is that one of our listeners had a birthday just recently. He's the one who recommended, for those who like to recommend or suggest, word up for those two. But he's the one who recommended one of your favorites, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So (laughs) I want to wish a happy happy belated birthday, Marky Mark. Yeah, I wanted to wish a happy belated (laughs) birthday to Mark Wine. So, yeah, man. Like I said, we're always open to recommendations, suggestions. If by chance you're in the industry, you need somebody to give some eyes to a film you might have, let us know. We're always up for that as well. That's us begging to see stuff early. Yeah. Please let us see shit early. You know, <laughs> we'll try our best to give you glowing remarks. You just got to give it to us first. You bring it, we'll blow it. <laughs> That's right. That's how you we You got to bring it. I mean, we're party boys. We're no strangers at 3 a.m. Anyway, for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms out! out.